Hey, I think I want a bag later too. All right, if I can get one. No. Never turn them down. Never turn them down, people. Okay, well, it's a, just so fun. To, again, people have different gifts in different ways. I don't have the gift to do what Mel just did, but I'm grateful she does. So can we praise God for her and do thank the Lord for, for you. And just uh, it's just really exciting to see what God's doing. Uh, Eric mentioned earlier we have a congregational, a special congregational meeting coming up. Uh, next Sunday. And again, just as a brief preview, we've been talking together as a church about how do we best utilize this campus that God's given us? How do we best make it open for all kinds of people? And we especially want to make it open for those who have mobility issues and, and difficulties you know, getting around. As of right now, you might remember, we've talked about this before, even just for restrooms alone, our only ADA accessible restrooms are where? Downstairs. Where do we worship God together? Upstairs. What's the only way to get to those restrooms? Well, it's outside a driveway going down around a blind corner where cars are going up and down. Is that a good idea? No. But more than that, what is that saying to people? What is that saying about how we're open to them being with us? We might think, well, hey, it's, it's uh, you know, only uh, a small percentage of people that have those struggles. Actually, it's, it's more than we realize. Uh, the CDC tells us the recent stat is about one in four will face mobility issues at one time or another. And uh, so it's not a certain age demographic, it's, it's a lot of people. And so we're going to be talking about that. And uh, you will actually get to hear about the scope of a proposed project. You'll get to the opportunity uh, to vote on approving that project. And all those details are in that packet. So make sure you grab it on your way out. And we'll look forward to seeing you uh, next Sunday evening for that. The other thing that we've been working on together quite a bit as a church is talking about why we do what we do. And maybe you'll recall, you know, our, our, our mission together as a church is growing deeper, walking closer, reaching farther. And that's not going to change. That's what we're about. Uh, but when we talk about why do we do those things, you might recall over the past several months, we've been working on our values and talking through what, what are our values? What, do we, what, do we, um, what motivates our desire to carry out our mission of growing deeper, walking closer, reaching farther? Because sometimes you can just kind of get caught up in the doing and you don't really grasp the why. And so we took a lot of time. We had different ways that you, the congregation, inputted on, on what these values would be. And essentially, we came down to, to four of them. Uh, we value life-giving truth. We value life-changing love, sincere community, and calling those far from God close to him. And you might recall a couple weeks ago, I, I kind of went over in detail the first one, this idea of life-giving truth and where that comes from. And, and essentially what we're saying is when we spend time in the Bible, we do that because the word of God is living and active it's not just a book. It's not a passive thing. The Spirit of God takes His Word and changes lives. And we talked about how uh, the psalmist tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. You want your soul to be restored? You ever feel like your soul needs to be restored? I'm looking at some of you right now, and I can tell you, you need your soul restored, okay? I'm just, no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're family. I can say that, folks. I, you know, but the reality is the, the Bible does that. It actively goes about doing that. Uh, we're told it gives wisdom to the simple. We're told it gives joy to the heart. It actively goes about doing that in the hands of the Spirit. So that's why 
uh, we want to be valuing life-giving truth. We don't just spend time in the Bible to spend time in the Bible or just to know things. No, it's because we want to be transformed and we want to live a life of joy in, in, in the fullness of all God's given us in his word uh, by his spirit teaching us. So that's life-giving truth. The, the, the second uh, value I'd like to just touch on uh, today would just be the life-changing love. What happens is once we come to know the Lord, his love for us causes us to live in a different way. And so as you were feeding back through all those different inputs that we had, these several things became very, very clear in terms of this particular value. Uh, because it's one thing to say we have a value. It's another thing to, for it to be shown in how we live and walk as a church. And so uh, from our time in, in researching and talking about this and working this through together as a church, uh, we, we saw that, that this, this value is shown in several ways. It's demonstrated by our emphasis on God's love for us in Christ leading to a deepening love for him and others. We talk about that all the time. We work that out. We live that out. Um, It's shown also by our diligence to encourage and exhort and build up one another in love as members of God's family. That happens around here. Those conversations happen. We care for one another in that way. We do encourage. Exhorting is the idea of someone coming and saying, hey, brother or sister, you know what? I think you need to understand something here that you're not quite getting. I want to help you with that. And, uh, and I need that. I need you to come to me and say, hey, Chris, uh, <laughs> you know what? I need you to see something here. We, we need to be in a, one another's lives in that way, and, and, and we are. It shows in our joyful service to God and others as we use the spiritual gifts he's entrusted to each one of us. We're going to talk about that more a little later today. But the reality is we all have spiritual gifts, and we all use those and need to use those uh, to, to glorify God and to build up one another and the work he's doing here. It's also shown, demonstrated as a value of life-changing love with our joyful giving of time, talents, and treasure to advance God's work here and throughout the world. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to see. Constantly, this church is a church that's giving, uh, giving to support God's work here, giving to support God's work in Papua New Guinea, in, uh, in, in Kenya, in places around the world. We're grateful for that. And then also, this life-changing love is also shown by our eager care for the needy and hurting in Jesus' name. That happens in a lot of ways. Uh, thankfully, there are people that you come up the hill frequently for help, and our, our deacons are ready to go. And you are the ones who give to the deacons fund in order to enable them to care for those who are facing physical and spiritual needs. Uh, it also shows, this value shows in the way we, we support various ministries that, that impact our community in that way. Uh, we, we've, we support regularly uh, the uh, Refuge Food Pantry, which is down in the Monument Corridor area, um, and, and they care for those who um, are not, don't have enough food to, to eat. And people come in for help, and, and we're grateful to be able to, to support that. There's also Restore Ministries, which focuses on the addicted poor in Concord. They provide housing, job training, Bible instruction for that. Uh, there's also a ministry called Hope 680 that we're excited about that, that is going and visiting homeless camps uh, in our community here in Concord. And they're bringing food to them and sharing the gospel with them. And by the way, if you want to be a part of volunteering or being, doing things with those ministries, please let us know. Uh, we'd be happy to plug you in and, and give you that, that opportunity to serve with them. You don't have to be a member at Clayton Valley Church to do that. Uh, that's open to everybody. And so we would just look forward to helping you make that connection. Uh, we also support Options Health, and we're grateful for how that is impacting our community for those facing unplanned pregnancies, uh, for the moms and, and dads who find themselves in that situation. They get to hear the gospel. Lives are saved through that ministry. 
Uh, we're also excited about Bay Area chaplains. There was just a banquet that happened uh, just this past weekend, and, and how exciting that was to see the ministry of, of, of caring for the incarcerated in the Contra Costa County jails. And, and our, you know, Chaplain John Klobuchar is one of the main chaplains there, and he's, he's up there in the balcony right there. You can see him. I, I just love pointing you out because... You know me. I just love you, dude. What am I saying? So anyway, he's there, but, but the, the point is we are involved in these different ways, and that is a demonstration of life-changing love. We don't do these things because they're just the right thing to do. We don't do them because we've done them before. We don't do them out of kind of rote, empty habit. We do this because God's love has changed us. And so because of that now, we are loving one another and loving those God's placed into our lives. And so we want to keep that in mind as we move ahead. Uh, I'll be referencing these values more in the weeks to come. But let's just hold on to uh, these, these things because it's important. Life-changing truth. I'm sorry, life-giving truth and life-changing love. Um, and later we'll talk about sincere community and, and calling those far from God close to him. But now we move on to uh, our, our series that we're in, 1 Corinthians and I just want to ask you something. Have you ever gotten a gift but not really appreciated what it was? Or b- better yet, have you ever given a gift and the person you gave it to doesn't appreciate it for what it really was? There was uh, the example given many years ago. I don't know if you even remember this, so I'm going to totally date myself. Are you ready for this? This is how old I am. There was this toy way back in the day called Tickle Me Elmo. All right, see, some people, if you were around, you know. And if you weren't, frankly, you didn't miss out on anything. <laughs> you, know, you really didn't. It was the most annoying toy in the, in the world. All right, you, you pressed on this thing, and the most annoying voice in the world came out and goes, hey, 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 hey. I can't even do it. I, and by the way, even if I could do it, you wouldn't want me to do it. It's really annoying. But this thing was selling like hotcakes. And then the account goes, you know, this, this mom went all out to get her kid this toy. I mean, it was like, you know, store after store. It was out. It was out. I think the final thing of it was it was her and, like, maybe some grandma with a, with a walker, and she had a racer, <laughs> you know, to get there. And they were kind of, and she got the toy kind of thing. So she wraps it up, gives it to her daughter. And, of course, the daughter, you know, opens the toy. Just, she's excited, and the daughter's excited. And she's like, oh, Wow. And the mom, you know, takes it out of the box and hands it to her. And what happens? The daughter, she's, she's more caught up in the box <laughs> than the toy. And what's the mom supposed to do, right? I mean, and in some ways, that's, that's actually kind of adorable, right? She's kind of like, oh, I just, look at this great body, the, you know, look at the toy. But that happens sometimes, you know, you can, you can give a gift and the person who receives it doesn't quite get the significance of the gift or what the gift is for or what the things are about it. And, and that's really exactly what was happening with the church in Corinth. Um, they had received gifts from God and yet they did not quite grasp what the gift was for and nor did they use the gift or the gifts in the way that God had intended. And we've seen this, of course, throughout uh, the churches uh, throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, that the church in Corinth really was caught up in a lot of different ways of having false criteria for true spirituality. 
So in other words, you might recall earlier in the book, it was, I am really spiritual if I'm a follower of this particular teacher. I follow Apollos. Yeah, well, I follow Peter. I follow Paul. Now you're really spiritual, depending on which teacher you follow. Or, or we also found later, as the book went on, that the married would say, you know, I could be really spiritual if I were single. And we saw that the singles at that time were saying, oh, I could be really spiritual if only I were married. And others were saying, I could be really spiritual if my job was different. And Paul spends a great amount of time unraveling and refuting those errors, right? He says, look, it doesn't matter what gifted teacher you follow, because the truth is there's only one foundation to build on, and that's Jesus himself. And there is only one God who causes all the growth. And then to others who were confused about their marital status or their, or their, their jobs, he said, the circumstances that you're in, Paul says, doesn't determine your spirituality. As a matter of fact, remain in the condition that you were called. Whatever condition you're in, you can glorify God there. You are spiritual. And so now in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is moving on to address the issue of spiritual gifts. Because apparently, uh, the Corinthians church's desire for status that we've also seen throughout this, this, this book, their desire for status has somehow infected their understanding of spiritual gifts. And essentially they were saying, you're more spiritual if you have this gift over that gift. And by the time we get to chapter 14, we're going to see that the primary gift they prioritized over all the others was the gift of tongues. So in essence, they were saying, you're really spiritual if you speak in tongues. So Paul's going to dismantle their understanding of that. But first, he's going to give them an introductory treatment to or of the spiritual gifts because it's so vitally important that they understand these gifts given by God. And it's just as vital that we understand these gifts given by God to all believers. And so in light of that, let's go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. And out of respect for God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read? First Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of knowledge through the Spirit, and to another the word of, I'm sorry, to the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. 
Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and ask that by your grace, uh, you, would, you would help us to, to understand your gifts given by you for the purpose of building up your body, for the purpose of edifying, for the purpose of furthering your work amongst us, and also for the purpose of displaying the gospel, the good news about Jesus to the dark world around us. So we ask that you would give us grace as we come to this passage. And we ask that we would understand as your people the vital significance of spiritual gifts and that we would use them to your glory. We thank you for your provision and we anticipate beautiful things as you teach us and instruct us by your spirit even this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So the beautiful thing we see in this passage, first of all, would be this. It's uh, all who, re- who receive Christ by faith receive spiritual gifts from God. And yet we also see something else. As recipients of spiritual gifts from God, we need to do certain things. And essentially, we're going to see three things from this passage. We must learn to discern. We must remember who the gifts are from. And we must remember what the gifts are for. So, three things. We need to learn to discern, remember who the gifts are from, and remember what the gifts are for. First, we need to learn to discern. It's fascinating that Paul is starting off this new topic, and immediately the first thing he says is, hey, folks, wake up, be discerning. You need to be discerning. Um, He's introduced other significant major topics in the letter, Uh, with this very same phrase. You might recall when he uses that phrase, now concerning, as you see there in verse one, he used it to introduce uh, the matters of marriage and sexuality back in chapter seven. He also in chapter eight said, now concerning food offered to idols. Remember that? So he was bringing up a new topic. And now here he's saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. And he's writing to the Corinthian church because apparently concerning spiritual gifts, there was a lot of confusion. And that's what really chapters 12 through 14 are all about. He he tells them he doesn't want them to be unaware. And and this word for unaware is very interesting. It's not just sort of like a blissful ignorance kind of a thing. It's actually more along the lines of of, uh, saying, you know, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to pay attention to this. I'm going to ignore this. I don't want to deal with this. And and, maybe you find yourself in that place right now. Maybe there's parts of your life where you're like, I just want to deal with that before God. I don't know. Beats me. Forget it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to walk my own way. And what what the Lord is saying here is, don't walk unaware. Ignorance is not bliss. It's just ignorance. And you can end up running into all kinds of distorted things ways of living, and also all kinds of problems and issues because you're refusing to listen. And so Paul's saying, hey, think about this. Pay attention. Don't ignore it. I want you to understand something. And then, so, and so we're going to talk about this more next week and the following week, but this need for discernment at the very outset of talking about this area of the Christian life is also very important for us, isn't it? And let's face it, spiritual gifts, that can be one of the most divisive topics that there can be within the church. 
And so we're going to take more than one week to unpack this because we want to be really clear and I want to give it adequate time. But when we, and, and the passage will do it beautifully for us as well. But, but we, we need to see that God's calling us to be discerning. And, uh, and so we want, to, we want to do that as well. It's the very first thing he says at the outset, discern. Uh, he also talks about um, what they were like before in verse 2. He, he brings up their previous lives before they came to know Jesus, and that's a fascinating thing. Most likely, they were taking in things from the surrounding culture and bringing them into the assembly, those same concepts. We saw it before when it came to food sacrifice to idols. We've seen it also with this idea of prominence and, and, and position, uh, this, this idea of, of being someone who, who has a high status. That was really important to them. So they were taking those values from the world around them and bringing them in to the assembly. But he's, he's drawing a contrast in verse 2. And he says, when you were pagans, you were led astray, notice how he phrases it, to the mute idols, however you were led. What's he talking about? He's talking about, look, you, you used to worship idols. You used to worship things that claim to be God that are not God. And these things are mute. They're dead. They have no life. They cannot speak. And again, we've said this many times, but is it not true in our day that there are plenty of idols that we can all worship? We've got more idols than we know how to name. Calvin was right when he said that the human heart is essentially a factory, an idol factory. It just builds them over and over. It's like an assembly line. It just keeps coming out. But the call that Paul gives here is those things that you're worshiping, whether it's, it's your own way, your demands, uh, whether it's your own comfort or ease, whatever it would be. Uh, it could be your career. It could be a person that you're basing your entire significance on. It could be uh, your status in some area, educationally or professionally, whatever it would be. Those idols can't talk. They're dead. There's no life in them. They don't deserve your worship. They cannot give you life. And notice they're mute. They don't speak. Uh, and later we'll see this contrast more. But our God is the God who speaks. He's alive. He's the creator of all. He's the sustainer of all. He's the one who gives us his truth. And so many of the gifts that are going to be described also have to do with speaking, revelation, God speaking forth his truth through the apostles and through the prophets. God speaking forth his truth in terms of word of knowledge and word of wisdom gifts. And those things were happening in the assembly there, in the church at Corinth. And so he's saying, unlike these dead idols, God is the God who speaks. God gives gifts of apostles and prophets to bring forth his message. He's not mute unlike those old things. But also, connected to that reality is this. So, brothers and sisters, stop living like you used to live and stop taking the gifts that God's given you and using them according to the values and, and the other things that you used to hold to back in those days. The world around you doesn't get to determine what's really valuable and what's really true. So stop trying to blend 
or to synthesize the world's values and God's values because they don't go together. Mute idols have nothing to do with life because they're dead. But instead, we come and worship the living God. And then in verse 3, Paul gives a test. It's a fascinating thing to see. If we first read it, we're going, what on earth is he talking about? <laughs> Look at verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. You're going, okay, that makes sense. He's saying to them that through the gifts, God the Holy Spirit does speak, but be warned, there are counterfeits. There are counterfeits. And again, Very intriguing that at the very outset of of Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts, he calls the Corinthian church to be aware of counterfeits. You need to discernment between the counterfeit gifts of the Spirit. I'm sorry, the counterfeit gifts that are not of the Spirit and the genuine spiritual gifts that are of the Spirit. And so how can a believer know the difference? Well, here's that test. No one that's speaking by the Holy Spirit says Jesus is accursed. Uh, Literally that phrase is Jesus is anathema. And you're going, whoa, what on earth does that mean? It's the most horrific statement, right? That's a, that's a, that's a, a brutal statement. That's, that's to say accursed. That is to say, uh, in some ways, even possibly damned would be the idea of that phrase. And so wh- now the question comes up is, was that said in the assembly? Like, can you imagine? So was the Corinthian church gathered together and someone stood up and said this? And if so... How is that possible? And how would they not have been removed immediately? Now, a couple things to keep in mind. First of all, the Corinthian church was very troubled, very divided. They were not unified, and they were tolerating all kinds of things in their midst. They were tolerating incest in their midst. We've already been told that. So that someone would stand up and say something like this, Apparently, someone did, or people did. And, and very likely, it would have, again, gone with this, this notion of, of being like the pagan rituals that they had just come out of. So that when they were worshiping in the idol's temple, remember the food sacrificed to idols? We talked a lot about what the temple was like. And those temples had a place of worship, and they had a place of eating what was worshiped later. And a lot of those ceremonies and rituals, people were in a frenzy, They were yelling out all kinds of things in sort of this ecstatic, mindless kind of way of speaking. And so certainly in the midst of that, maybe some who wanted prominence, they they were claiming to speak as prophets, though they weren't. They wanted to have that that kind of position and and the status that came with it placed upon them. And they would just stand up and in this ecstatic, ecstatic kind of mindless way, just kind of blurt things out. Um, and again, it might be far-fetched for some of us to go, ah, how could that possibly happen? Well, again, there were a lot of misunderstandings. There were a lot of things tolerated. This church had been infiltrated greatly by divisiveness and sin. As a matter of fact, we're going to find in the next section that they even misunderstood the resurrection. There's a whole chapter. Chapter 15 is going to be all about the fact that the, the resurrection did in fact happen. Praise God for that. But you know why, why Paul had to say that to them? Because many of them doubted even that. It's possible that uh, 
there was some kind of false teaching going through. Again, we're not told all the details, and we've got to keep that in mind. A lot of things about uh, when we're going through the, the epistle here is we're not told all the details because we weren't there. We're given what we need to know. And so sometimes we're going to be uh, going into sort of a necessary inference from that. Um, but it's possible that, that there was false teaching being declared about the person of Jesus. Uh, maybe someone was comp- you know, saying, I've got the, this prophetic gift and, and they were teaching some sort of heresy about Jesus. It's possible maybe they were separating the historical Jesus from the Christ. Uh, certainly we see that heresy being dealt with uh, years later by the Apostle John and in 1 John. But what, what's the, what's the, the antidote or the, the, the test that would demonstrate that this is, in fact, from God? Someone speaking in the assembly by the Spirit is speaking of God. And it's this phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's a willing acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ. This would include a full confession of the Lordship of Jesus. It calls all who hear to have full allegiance to him. And, and, and so the idea is not so much, oh, someone said those words, therefore, they're speaking of the Spirit or from the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not the words. It's the attitude, the heart, what was communicated, what the teaching was, what the proclamation was. And then how it came out with full conviction and adoration, giving worship to Jesus. And so the ability to declare those truths, those words with the deepest conviction demonstrated the genuineness of the spiritual gift enabling the declaration. And you're going, what gift is being used here? Well, most likely it's the gift of prophecy. What was prophecy? We'll go into this more next week. But prophecy was speaking, thus says the Lord. A prophet of God was a, a, a person. There were, there were men and women both who were given the gift of prophecy and they would speak. And as they spoke, they were speaking direct revelation from God in the same way the Old Testament prophet would say, thus say the Lord. That's what would happen. And it was authoritative. It was God speaking. Uh, you might go, well, what was going on? Why was that the case? Realize this, the New Testament had not been completed. Those books were being written at the time. And the church needed God's revelation to grow and to learn and to live out its life as, as the body of Christ in this new era. And so these prophets were given as a gift to the church. And they would speak. And yet... As is being called for here, there were counterfeit prophets. There were in the Old Testament too. And how did they know if a prophet was real in the Old Testament? Well, there would be a near declaration that had to come true that would verify the fact that this was a prophet from God and then the far-off prediction could be accepted. And, and again, as we trace it through to the New Testament, we see the gift of, of, of prophecy in the New Testament, it operates in that very same way. Uh, there, there, was, there, were, there were not people setting up, you know, cute little uh, uh, fortune-reading booths, you know, tarot cards, whatever it would be, let me read your palm thing. None of that stuff was happening for much of the healthier instances of Old Testament history when the people of Israel were walking with God. Why is that? 
Because if anyone did that and they were a false prophet, what happened? That was it. It was not a great line of work to be a, a, a schemer. You didn't last long. But that same principle applies then through the New Testament. And again, we'll, we'll develop that more in the weeks ahead. But, but for now, that's what's, that's what's being discussed here. And, and Paul is giving them a test, saying you can know, you can discern a prophet of God versus one who is a false counterfeit prophet by the content of what they are saying. And you know what, brothers and sisters? We can know the same thing today. We can know if someone's a true prophet of God or not, if someone is speaking the truth, if someone is declaring the word of God or not, by the content of what they are saying. Are we committed to being discerning? Will we do that work? It does take work to do that. And yet, we're given the test here. The genuine from the counterfeit can be seen by the content of what they declare. And the unique mark of the genuine is that it highlights a willing acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord with conviction of, of mind and devotion of heart. So we need to learn to discern. Second, we've got to remember who the gifts are from. Who are the gifts from? And the beautiful thing is this, verses 4 through 6 tell us, and verse 11 actually, tell us they are from God, but not just from God. He, he could have just said that. But notice, they are from the triune God. In other words, each member of the Trinity is referenced here. Look at it. It says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And the variety of effects, but the same God. You see that? The Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father are all involved in this. I know someone would say, see, you don't have the word Trinity in the Bible. Yeah, it's true. But you know what? You see it everywhere. If you're being honest, if you're digging into the passage, and if you're just pulling out what is in fact there, we see that. You'll notice also in verses 4, 5, and 6, it says varieties, varieties, varieties. And when you dive in and you do a word study on that Greek word, you know what it means? It means varieties. It means there's all kinds of gifts. There's a lot of them. And it's beautiful. You know why? They're different. They're not all the same. They don't all have the same function. Now, you can see how that would be important as again, the church in Corinth was saying, well, if you speak in tongues, then you're really spiritual. And Paul's, again, he's going to do three chapters of this, but just in the outset, he's going, hey, there's a lot of different gifts. They're all beautiful. They're all important. And they all are a way in which God, as he works in the lives of each man, woman, and child that he calls to himself, as he works in them, he gives each sort of a, a different sprinkling of gifts. I kind of, I, I like it to think of it like, you know, there's a painter, he's got the paint, and he's like, blam, blam, you know, different colors. Maybe you saw the Aristocats. You ever see the Aristocats? Remember Disney? I love that movie. It's so fun. Well, you remember one, one of the kids, is it, which, which cat is it that's the artist? Toulouse? Toulouse, thank you. Which, by the way, is an artist, right? Huh? See, nothing gets past me. Nothing. It's all right here. But I love the shot where he walks up and like the canvas is there 
And you kind of just see his face, and he's kind of like, he's got the paint in his paws, and he's like, he's kind of smearing it on himself, and he's like, flap, flap, you know, and he kind of stands back and looks, and you turn around, and it's like a face of Edgar with the, the butler. But um, <laughs> the point would be God, God does that uh, with each believer. It's so beautiful. So there's a variety of gifts in that variety, variety, variety. It means there's a multi-dimensional way in which God takes each gift and goes, here, you got some of this, you got some of that, you got some, but you got some of this, some of that, some of that. And as much as every person looks different, like physically we share characteristics, but we don't look the same. In the same way, this threefold emphasis of variety would tell us that the way God gives the spiritual gifts are also not the same. We have different levels, different emphases, different flavors. You know what it also tells us? That means that each and every individual person with their gifts has a unique way they are called to minister, to serve, to be used by God to further his work here amongst us as a church family and also furthering his kingdom out there in the world we live in. So then the question becomes, okay, are all of us aware of that? And are all of us using our gifts that we've been given? I mean, think about this. Our gifts are from God. They're from God. God has given you gifts. Could you imagine someone giving you this this beautiful gift and you're just kind of going, yeah, that's really great. Mm, On the shelf, I'm doing other stuff. What does that say to the person who gave you the gift? Brothers and sisters, are we using the gifts God's given us? Are we using them? Are we we serving one another? Are, Are we in our daily lives going before the Lord in prayer going, Lord, today you have called me to serve you. Show me how. Are we sensitive to God's working and leading through the day? Like, okay, I have an opportunity here. Or do they pass us by? Because we're just kind of preoccupied with our own little myopic world. I want this, I want this, I want this. Okay? Our wants, as we come to know the Lord more, as we grow in understanding his his gifts to us and his purpose for us, our our wants change from the myopic little wants of me here, now, myself, into, Lord, you have given me everything in Christ. I am full in him. I am secure and safe in him. He is the risen Lord. Lord. He is coming back soon. And this time that we have between now and then is a nano blip on the screen of eternity. And because of that, Lord, help me to use this time now to further your work. And thank you for giving me gifts to accomplish your goals for me. Show me how to use them today. The gifts are from God. There's many varieties. Notice verse 11, the same spirit. He refers to the spirit again, the Holy Spirit, and he says all these things distributing to each one individually. Again, that's the idea of uniqueness. Notice, just as he wills. 
The Holy Spirit is sovereign in his dispersal of gifts. And that's important. Because sometimes, certainly here in Corinth we see this, oh yeah, well I I want that gift because that's the gift that has the most status. I should have that gift. I don't have that gift. I've got this gift. Christmas time, kids around the tree. There's four of them. About 10 minutes after opening gifts, three of them are fighting over the one gift given to the other one. (laughs) I want that one. Doesn't always happen, but it can. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you were that kid. But uh, I'm just saying because I was. (laughs) Just full disclosure, I was. But notice, the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts as he wills. And so it's not a matter of me saying, well, I want this gift and I'm going to muster this gift or I'm going to try to make sure I grab this gift or get this gift. There is an aspirational element to gifts. We'll talk about that later as these chapters unfold. But that's different than saying, I demand this one because this one is the most prominent. This also tells us, yet again, a beautiful biblical reality. Because all the gifts are different in varieties, because they all have a different sprinkling on each individual person, it also shows that they are all used mightily by God to further his work, to glorify him, to edify and build up the church, and to bring the lost into the light of Jesus. They're all used that way. You know what that means? No matter who's serving in what capacity, it's empowered by the Spirit of God and accomplishing God's purposes. And that has everything to do with the way we live our everyday lives, doesn't it? You know, maybe you have the gift of mercy. And again, we'll talk about this in the weeks ahead. But if you have that gift of mercy, you know what that means? You have a heart to help people in dire places. So maybe you're at work. And you've got a coworker who is hurting. And you see that need, and you're able to come alongside of that coworker and share encouragement with them. Maybe they need to spend some time. Maybe you, you invite them to be with you over lunch, and you're able to talk with them. Maybe you've got the gift of evangelism spreading there too, and all of a sudden now you're talking about Jesus, and you're able to share that with them. Maybe you don't have the gift of evangelism. You're still called to share Jesus with them. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later too. A lot of times like, oh, I don't have that gift. Well, not my thing. Yeah, no, no, that's not how it works. But the point would be, that is just as holy, that is just as significant as, uh, well, what I'm doing right now, I'm Preaching. You know, I, I think we've got to be careful. We tend to put certain gifts in like, well, well that's, that's a really holy activity. As believers, you realize there's this other principle, the priesthood of all believers, and it means if, if, if someone's out there uh, as, as a police officer uh, writing a ticket for someone as a believer, or someone's a plumber and they're fixing the sink you know, in the kitchen there, another person's a, a, a builder or a, a, a nurse or a doctor, um, even a lawyer, if you're a Christian lawyer, I'm kidding. <laughs> Totally kidding. But no, but if you're a Christian lawyer, right, even that, all of those things, I have friends who are lawyers, I can say that, don't worry, it's okay. Um, all those things are acts of worship unto God. All of them. All of them. And so when we remember who the gifts are from, it reframes how we approach all of life as a, as a believer. 
So lastly, let's also remember what the gifts are for. What are the gifts for? And look, they're for the common good. We see that in verse seven. Each one's given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. It's to build up everyone. We'll see that also in the weeks ahead. This idea of edifying, it's it's a building. The idea is a building. You're building up the building. And so all the gifts are there for the purpose of building up for the common good. And they're also given for working in their various ways. That's why they're there. And so when when we understand that, it actually helps us use our gifts in the best way possible. You know, uh, maybe you have uh, the gift of exhortation. We need you, by the way, we need you. You're you're the person that is able to come alongside somebody else and just say, hey, I got to correct you on something. (laughs) Or I want you to know something. It's related, I think, to the gift of encouragement too, right? They're both together. Encourage, exhort. They're together. Or so it might be, oh, you're you're not, you're kind of winds out of your sails. I'm going to bring into your life truth that's going to help uplift and put wind back in your sails. But the reality is we want to use that in light of the common good. We want to use that in a way that that builds up everybody. What does that mean? Well, probably because you're going to need to have good timing with the words that when you say that to somebody. You know, there's going to be some things you're not going to say in front of everybody because it's not going to build everybody up. There might be other times when you need to say something and it needs to be in front of brothers and sisters because together it will build everybody up. But that will be a theme that Paul will use repeatedly, this idea of the common good, the common good. But it works in many, many different varieties. So we saw the word variety repeated in verses 4, 5, and 6. Now Paul unfolds these varieties in verses 8 and 9 and 10. And we have these various gifts mentioned There's a word of wisdom. There's a word of knowledge. There's faith. There's healing. There's affecting miracles. There's prophecy. There's distinguishing spirits. There's there's kinds of tongues. There's interpretation of tongues. And we see all these gifts, and we realize that Paul is just like jumping in here and giving a snapshot. Notice how he doesn't unfold or explain them at all? He's just like, oh, and there's these gifts. Blam. And all of them, when they were listening to that, they, they heard that they knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, we need to do the work of putting ourselves in their sandals. We need to take some time to, to frame that. What are those gifts? How do they function? What are they for? And so uh, I realized very early on that I could not fit all of that into this message. <laughs> so for that discussion, uh, we're going to gather again next week and go into the specifics We're going to frame the entire discussion. We're going to back off a bit. And so uh, we want to make sure that we we understand the gifts, not only how they're designed by God and how they function, but also we want to talk about uh, whether or not, are there some gifts that were specific for that time, for that place, for the reasons given here in the text of building up the church with the unique needs it had at its founding? And other gifts that, in fact, extend on and on through each age. And so we'll, uh, we're going to touch on that. We're not going to touch on that. We're going to focus on that next week. So 
Um, so we'll see you, Lord willing, we're going to see you next week. If you're not going to be here, what can I tell you? Get it online? I don't know. Find it on. Everything's going to be online. So look, some people are looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, okay, just don't worry. We're, we're going to. But, but I think it's going to be very instructive to us uh, because it is so controversial today, especially. And we want to make sure that we're, we're seeing this um, from the vantage point of the Holy Spirit himself who gave us his word so that we can understand these things. So we'll look forward to that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you again would help us to learn to discern, to remember who the gifts are from and to remember what the gifts are for. And would ask that by your grace, we would even learn today uh, more and more about how we can be sure that with the unique varieties that you've given each individual believer, how we can best use the gifts you've given us to serve you to build up one another, how we can use the gifts you've given us for the common good, how we can even be a light for you in the darkness that others would come to know you. And so, Lord, we we thank you for bringing us to this section of scripture uh, because it is your desire for us to grasp these wonderful things from, from you and to glorify you as we use them and live them out. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.